0: Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This week on Rewind, your week in review. For the first time, Michael Gableman testifies to lawmakers about his review of the 2020 election. Plus, more than a dozen Democrats vote against the district maps drawn by the Governor's People's Maps Commission. And a Republican makes his return to the Senate floor after months of being hospitalized for COVID-19. We have an update on how he's doing. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for November 12th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin.
1: And I'm J.R. Ross.
0: So, junior we're first going to start off with Michael Gableman, a mm-hmm. former Supreme Court Justice, testified for the first time in a public setting.
1: Not via YouTube video. Not yeah. <laughs> YouTube videos. The
0: first time we saw him in flesh, and yeah. he kind of shared a little bit of some updates about his investigation. Now, he didn't really answer a lot of lawmakers' questions, but we did learn that he seems to be interested in expanding the scope of his investigation to include the Racine County Sheriff's allegations of voter fraud at a Mount Pleasant nursing home. We're going to get into the details of that because during this same exact hearing, the Racing County Sheriff uh, Lieutenant, um, or excuse me, Racing County Lieutenant uh, also testified before Gableman And so beyond this Uh, the racing sheriff's allegations. We know he's also looking at the influence of outside money in Wisconsin elections. WEC's guidance to clerks who sent absentee ballots to nursing homes, which they did in that uh, rule in order to allow residents to vote instead of sending special voting deputies. And Gableman is also going to look into voting machines. Gableman talked quite a lot uh, Mm -hmm. about his investigation. Kind of was very tight-lipped on some things. So we're first going to take a listen to an exchange between Democrats Democratic Representative Mark Spreitzer on the committee questioning Gableman's intent of this investigation. And then you'll hear from Gableman himself defending his overall probe. As the ranking member of this committee, I've spent a lot of time seeking the truth about the November 2020 election. And the reality is the November 2020 election was safe and secure and conducted very well despite a global pandemic. And when you point to poll numbers of people who don't believe that. I think you, quite frankly, are one of the people that is undermining voter credibility in our elections and doing damage to our democracy, the very damage that you're here speaking ah, against.
2: That's ridiculous. If you're so confident, Representative, that this, this election was a model of integrity. You are in the minority in this country and, main, and in this state, by the way. And so I would have expected a man of your interest and enthusiasm to have contacted me Uh, to show me the facts that that help uh, me understand your way of thinking when a majority of our fellow citizens' representatives do not believe your way.
0: So Gableman there defending his probe, saying he just wants to overall uh, make sure people have confidence back in our elections. Democrats kind of just for this for I mean ever since the probe started have been really been questioning about mm-hmm. the intentions of it. Um, one thing that we did learn is the two people sitting next to him this is the first time we're kind of seeing some of Gableman's staff and we learned of a new staff member, JR.
1: Yeah, Mr. Lancaster, so uh, Gabelman says he has fewer than 10 people on staff, won't say who they are. He was pressed by Mr. Spritzer for that. Uh, the big picture in this report is that Michael Gambon is laying the foundation or roadmap for people about how he's going to come out and say that there are all kinds of illegalities in the 2020 election. Um, now, I'll get in the weeds. Explain what I'm getting at. So remember, democracy in the park in Madison. There was this effort by the Madison clerk to collect absentee ballots in city parks because there are questions about the mail and whether the ballots back on time. Republicans complained about the effort. There were more than 17,000 ballots collected in Democracy in the Park over two weekends in uh, September and October. It came up during the Trump lawsuit trying to overturn the results uh, that those lawsuits were rejected. Now even Pat Sack, the then Supreme Court Chief Justice, raised concerns about Democracy in the Park and whether it was legal because in state law there are requirements about how you return your absentee ballot, right? But even in the preliminary before her dissenting opinion about the decision, she said even if there are issues some of the stuff, you... Uh, the plaintiff, Mr. Trump, may not get the relief you, des- you want, which is throwing out ballots. So hinting that there may be problems with administration, but not necessarily the removal of ballots from the count. Gabeland's report suggests, though it doesn't conclude, mm-hmm. he has evidence so far that those 17,000 ballots may have been illegal. Now, other courts have said, again, like Sack, who was a critic of the Washington Park, that doesn't mean the ballots are null and void. But Gablin's using language that cues up the suspicion people I talk to of, He's going to say, democracy in the park, WEC did illegal stuff, all these things happen, and it's going to add fuel to the fire of the people who think this election was stolen, quote-unquote. Now, there were problems with the election. There are problems with every election because they're run by human beings. There are errors made. There's plenty of reasons to criticize the Elections commissioner, questions decisions. But I've yet to see anybody say, okay, this was, uh, that the election was a fraud, right, in an incredible a way. There are questions about what's going on, but not a credible, this was a stolen election. This is gonna add fire to people who think it was stolen and it's uh, gonna kinda set up, it's gonna be interesting how this is received by both Republicans who asked for this investigation the Democrats, you think it's a miss.
0: And I think Gableman also, he kind of said that he looked at the Audit Bureau's report and says he has a lot of problems with it. Yes. So he kind of wants to further, and what you were, uh, so people are following too, what you were talking about was Gableman's interim report that he brought to lawmakers. Um, doesn't give the full scope of his investigation, but kind of teases what he's been saying on these YouTube videos and just a little bit more in depth about what he's doing. So, especially with voting machines too, we know that the Audit Bureau only took a sample of, you know, a few municipalities, looked at their voting equipment, said they worked properly, but Gableman's scope just keeps getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and that's one thing he even said that he's gonna look uh, into even more. Um, the timeline too, uh, We I asked Speaker Voss yesterday during his press avail, you know, now that the scope is getting bigger, now that he wants to look into racing allegations at nursing homes, I mean, when does this end? And I think that's the big question too of how much longer will this go on?
1: Oh, uh- and, the more, and we, have
0: an, like, we have elections coming up next the year. The more
1: it drags, the more it bleeds into 2022. And then the question becomes for Republicans, are you still talking about 2020 and 2022? Have you placated that part of your base that thinks the election was amiss and that they, they're they demanding action? Have you placated them? And if you keep bleeding into 2022, are you taking the focus off of Joe Biden's struggles in the White House, the issues for Democrats, Tony Evers and his issues? Are you taking the attention off of that? And potentially hurting yourself electorally in the process.
0: Right. And uh, I know we, we kind of lead it off with this as well. Um, the Racine County uh, uh, Lieutenant Michael Luel also testified right before Gableman and he gave a very similar presentation that he did last month. Uh, I believe it was last yep. month. Yeah. Early October um, explaining the scope of his investigation, which is into allegations at a Mount Pleasant nursing home uh, claiming that there was potential voter fraud. Now, his uh, opening statements to uh, was along the lines that this is not a political matter, this is a criminal investigation. We are not looking to overturn any elections. What we are trying to do is hold the government accountable. Now, Racine officials have recommended criminal charges against the Wisconsin elections commissioners, but Racine County District Attorney, which we talked about last week, uh, Tricia Hansen, has yet to file any charges or publicly respond to us. We're not really sure where that's going. And Democrats on the committee basically called this political because there are no charges so far.
1: called the DA's office this morning, no update. Um, now, the now Lieutenant Lowell, he was a sergeant when he made his presentation Correct. last month, been promoted on Monday to lieutenant. Um, as he said, this wasn't political. He also though raised the prospect of Attorney Josh Call and Governor Tony Evers seeking re-election without addressing these issues, which caused Mark Spreitzer, the representative from Beloit, to kind of question, well, how, what are you talking about? The only thing that really were new in Lowell's presentations were last month when the sheriff talked to reporters, he said, we have not referred anybody locally for crimes, that this is all about the Elections Commission and their legal activities. They open the door to the fraud. well said, actually, months ago, he sent recommendations for two people at the assistive care facility for charges, no decision on those yet. Um, he said, well, the sheriff doesn't know the case as well as I do. So a little bit of a, a difference between what the sheriff said last month and what he said today, but the same basic dynamic. We're all waiting to see what does the DA do. Mm-hmm. As we talked last week, I've asked attorneys and keep asking attorneys, do you think there's a chance that this is actually held up in court? And they said no. So th- there's a political decision, well, a legal and political decision for DA Hansen to make because legally, does she think the charge is justified, then politically, what's the fallout for her when she says yes or no?
0: And to go along with uh, kind of maybe a little bit change in story or Mm -hmm. um, like you mentioned with Will too, that the sheriff said that he hasn't talked to Speaker Voss about this, but then Voss did a few days, probably a week after his press conference, said, oh, yeah, I talked to the racing Sheriff about this. And then the
1: sheriff tried to kind of say, well, that was interpretation of the question. I answered the way I interpreted it and all that kind of stuff. But... Yeah, a lot of things going on there.
0: Um, let's just stay on the topic of elections <laughs> uh, because also this week Megan Wolf uh, tried to defend herself. She also testified at the legislative's joint audit committee. And what was the big focus here is to talk about the findings of the audits report. We had auditors from the state also kind of briefly explain to lawmakers what they found and touched on those uh, 30 recommendations mm-hmm. and some possible um, administrative rule changes. Now, Wolf big takeaway there is that she's said there's errors in this report and they're being and she wants them corrected because they're being fueled by people who are quote trying to undermine the credibility of our democracy a republican lawmakers slammed wolf and the agency for not meeting sooner about the audit findings because they're not going to meet until december 1st so we kind of had some uh republicans demanding wolf to do more meet sooner but uh, she she doesn't have control over setting those meetings. The chair and Jacobs does. And before we get into this, J.R., um, let's just hear that exchange between Wolf and Republican Representative Mark Bourne um, talking exactly about why they're not meeting sooner.
1: I'm very concerned with the tone of the initial reaction to the audit. I think it's fine to be questioning the process of whether you got it ahead of time and whatnot, but Um, I'm a little bit surprised by uh, the tone that you reacted, especially when you outline your misunderstandings today that um, are really minor, at least what you've brought forward today. Um, So I don't see where there are um, major problems with this audit.
0: We should all want this to be an accurate record of the election. And I guess I'm taken aback that folks are so appalled that I would dare question that. Uh, We were not given a chance to review this. And um, contrary to what was previously said, other agencies are given the chance to review. They are given the chance to respond. And that allows for a mechanism to make sure that if there are errors, that they're corrected. Another Republican who was slamming Wolf uh, during that committee was Representative John Mako, who is an exploring a run for governor, called it repugnant and insulting that Wolf had suggested that she couldn't fully address their questions.
1: So Megan Wolf works at the behest of the elections commissioners; they dictate what the commission is going to do. She works under them. So her argument has been, and what Ann Jacobs, the chair, democratically appointee, the uh, body said, if you guys will put off this meeting until December first, we can have a fuller response for you and. She can answer your questions better. Republicans point out that, look, the commission's met twice since this audit came out and haven't said boo about it yet. They have had time. Why can't they meet? Um, there's that issue there. John Mako, maybe a little bit over the top uh, in his questioning of Wolf, uh, you know, his little political theater always when you talk to elections and stuff like that in the Capitol. For Republicans, they feel like Wolf is digging a hole for herself because she's attacking the credibility of the Audit Bureau. Uh, these nonpartisan arms legislature, the Audit Bureau, the Fiscal Bureau, they're kind of like Almost untouchables, right? They're the ones who are uh, giving lawmakers uh, unfiltered advice, the truth, etc. So they're a little bit kind of weary about, okay, what are you going after the audit bureau for? But for example, Wolf points out there's a system called ERIC. Uh, it's a multi-state system where they share information on people who may have voted, you know, other states, uh, people who may have moved, all kinds of like boxes you can check. The audit report has this little grid in it that shows like these various reports you can get from ERIC and when they were could have gotten them, and shows the audit or the didn't ask for those reports. Well, Megan points out, for example, that one report listed wasn't even available until after 2018, so all these unchecked boxes, they're misleading, she says, or things like that in the report that are off, that if they got a the chance to review it before it was released, they could have fixed, but because the Audit Bureau said we cannot trust the Elections Commission to have a, a draft because, remember, the w- Megan works for the commissioners, they can only meet in uh, private, and for certain circumstances, uh, Audit's not one of them, they didn't want these details out before they released the full thing. So they couldn't address these things. Megan's asking, can we please fix the record going forward? Like, big takeaway from this is you're looking at what's going on. Republicans want to draw, write more bills to address election laws before 2022. Um, Ron Johnson's also encouraged, apparently, to go take over elections and just ignore WEC, which is whole another topic. Yeah, <laughs> like we could get into that. <laughs> But the question is what are Republicans going to propose in these bills come spring session now because the fall floor period is over as of Thursday. So come spring, what are they going to propose? Gabeland's uh, review might not be done till we don't know when sometime this spring, maybe. So how do they draw bills off of what he's recommending? They've got 30 recommendations from the Elections Commission, things to do, what's going to happen going forward. And there's a lot of suspicion right now in the Capitol between what Republicans, their motivation by Democrats, and for Republicans, the motivations of WEC. They don't trust WEC right now. It's not a good situation or a environment in the Capitol when you have a big election coming up next fall.
0: And Wolf want really wants these corrections because she says if if no one's going to correct these, then you guys are going to keep you know mm-hmm. fueling this to you know into next year's elections. That look what the audit bureau find because it is a very trusted you know agency uh, that people look to for these certain things. And Wolf is also defending that you know it was an unusual move that the audit bureau didn't give them a chance mm-hmm. to respond to the audit, which is usually what always happens. So she didn't get her chance to kind of say, hey, thanks for letting me show this. Do we have time to look over this? And they said, no, due to, we don't want to release this. Um, We're gonna do this differently. Um, So we'll, we'll see, you know, I think this is going to carry on much longer. Lawmakers are not going <laughs> to be on the floor it. anytime soon, but I think what we're going to keep seeing is maybe some meetings with the elections uh, committee, and we're going to see what happens um, on WEDC commissioners when they meet on December 1st because Megan did say they're going to you know, discuss the recommendations, and we're going to see that goes from there. But they need how many votes, Chair? Four, Four. votes to get anything accomplished. And that could be difficult because we got three Republicans, three Democrats, someone's got to cross over, um, and they got to agree to start making these, uh, I guess, make a decision on some new guidance going
1: forward. We'll be talking about this again, especially because the next topic we're going to talk about is going to keep this thing alive for a while.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good segue there, uh, Jer. So also this week, Senate Republicans who have launched, in a sense, their own election investigation, issued a subpoena to the Madison City Clerk. Now, that was Senator Kapanka, Senator Lemahieu, and Senator Bernier issued it uh, to Madison City Clerk Mary Beth Witzelbell. They are seeking election rec- uh, records requested by the Audit Bureau during their investigation, including absentee ballots, certificates, and tests on voting equipment. Kapanka, uh, in the subpoena also issued a statement saying, I sign this with the full effect of the law behind it. We are not playing games, and there will be consequences if they don't comply. Now, we haven't heard from witzelbell herself, but Madison Mayor Rose Conway did send her own statement saying, we've already communicated to the Audit Bureau that they are welcome to examine copies, not the actual ballots, of election records, and can have access to that information as that is in the original documents requested. We do not intend to viol- violate the law simply because Senator Kapenga demands that we do. So this is the same issue that we saw when the first subpoenas came out. Um, now we're having another round of subpoenas focused on specifically what the Audit Bureau didn't get their hands
1: on. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to the USDOJ advice about to local election officials about custody, uh, chain of custody issues with election records. Madison officials are saying, look, this advice tells us we can't let you have the actual records. We'll give you copies. You can stand over our shoulder. We'll flip things over for you look at them. Uh, LAB says that's not sufficient for what we need. Republicans basically are trying to send a message to Madison of you're not above the law. Everybody else gave these guys this stuff. Why won't you? You're not gonna be the one who says no to us. Worth noting that both Milwaukee County and the town of Suamica were also in the audit report for not giving access to ballots like Madison Uh, Bernier's office said yes, but they also gave the audit bureau access to the ballot certificates and other election records, originals, so we're good to go with them. This is about getting actually the actual records from Madison, not copies of these things. So what's going on from here? The deadline is November 24th to produce the records, uh, the Senate Sergeant Arms Office. What I'm watching is what happens if they don't show up by noon on the 24th. Exactly. So happy Thanksgiving everybody. So (laughs) we have that deadline. What happens then, and then what do Senate Republicans do? They just do they call in the clerk and force her to come in because these, these subpoenas do have power of law behind them. There are possible uh, penalties for violating them. Do they just call her in have her testify? Do they try and enforce the issue? Is this a lawsuit now? There are a lot of things that are unknown right now about what the penalty is going to be if they don't comply because right now Madison's saying we're not going to do this, you can have copies and that's it.
0: And it's a little bit different than Gableman subpoenas because Gableman kind of made a an agreement with most of those five cities that he issued them to um, and their clerks. He basically said, okay, um, get, them, get these records to me when you can. Maybe we'll do interviews down the road because they originally requested them to meet with him in private in an office in Brookfield, but this is just a completely different separate investigation and another subpoena where they're going to have to they're going to have to follow because like you said there could be some legal implications that follow.
1: And avoids the issues of Gableman subpoenas where so the DOJ lawsuit trying to squash the subpoena that Gableman issued toward the Elections Commission and and Megan Wolf says the law does not envision somebody like Michael Gableman having depositions in a private office. It envisions this being carried out in front of a legislative committee. You have Senate Republicans following the committee process having it public Remember, Gabelin had not been in public to talk about this until his appearance on Thursday, mm-hmm. or sorry, Wednesday before that hearing. Um, he still was gearing toward having this testimony in private. That's an issue, possibly. Again, not a lawyer. Uh, lawyers will hash this out, and a judge will rule eventually about that that ruling. Merry Christmas, everybody! It's the week before right. Christmas that hearing. So, all right. IT COULD BE ANOTHER SPECTACLE OF A LOCAL OFFICIAL CALLED BEFORE A SENATE COMMITTEE AND THIS CONTENTIOUS ATMOSPHERE ABOUT WHAT'S GOING ON ELECTION RECORDS. ALL
0: RIGHT, WE'RE GOING TO TOUCH ON ONE one LAST ELECTION THING <laughs> WHERE I'M JUST GOING TO SUMMARIZE PRETTY QUICKLY. SO uh, BEFORE THESE uh, SUBPOENAS WERE ISSUED, THE SENATE um, OR SENATE AND THEN THE ASSEMBLY ALSO PASSED A RESOLUTION. BASICALLY, THAT'S TARGETS WEC. Um, I'M GOING TO SUMMARIZE IT HERE. Uh, BOTH CHAMBERS PASSED THIS. THAT'S would CASCADING THE WISCONSIN ELECTIONS COMMISSION FOR ignoring statutory requirements requirements, sidestepping the administrative rulemaking process, and for not following both the letter and intent of state statute. Now, what they're talking about right there, JR, is them sides, what they call sidestepping mm-hmm. their authority and issuing the guidance to send absentee ballots to nursing homes during the pandemic um, instead of special voting deputies. And
1: you know what about this? It's been a year and a week since the 2020 election we are still talking about that election. There's not an, an end to this discussion in sight, and we are less than a year out from the 2022 election. That's why I've been bringing up, How does this factor into next fall? And is this still going on in the spring and the summer? Like, At what point is it enough? And I've asked Republicans, Like, at what point have you satisfied your base? And they don't know, because they get beat up every time they go back home to an event. They have somebody saying, you're not doing enough. You need to do more. President Trump should still be president, you should overturn this election result, it should be somebody in prison. At what point will it be enough? And they don't have the answer to that. They don't and, know.
0: They, they don't know. And- do voters get tired of this, right? I mean, there was just an MU Law School poll last week that kind of tried to gauge the interest. Of course, it's only a small sample, but most people don't know who Gableman is. I mean, mm-hmm. we're writing the headlines about it. There's some people that know who he is, other people not. I mean, I'm sure people watching the show know who he is, but you know what I mean? It's, it's at one point, are people buying it or are they sick of it or they just want to move on?
1: No. There is a small chance, and I stress a small chance, this could all land in a nice pretty bow, nice pretty package, all wrapped up. <laughs> Just a where time for Christmas. people nope. go people go, okay, I feel confident now what happened in twenty twenty. I get all the issues, they've addressed all my concerns. Both sides say I feel confident in this review, I feel confident in the results, let's move on. I'm not confident that's going to happen, but that's a possibility. There's a small chance i land this plane. And getting through this, but it's going to be bumpy ride till then.
0: Uh, also, this week, as just yesterday, uh, the GOP redistricting plan will be sent to Governor Evers' desk. Um, we know he's going to veto it. He's said it publicly. He's vowed to do it. Um, but I think the big interesting part that we saw in the Senate and the Assembly this week is Democrats breaking Mm -hmm. away from the People's Maps Commission. First, I'll just highlight uh, what Republicans' maps would do. We've talked about it a lot. The map proposal would largely keep in place current lines that benefit Republicans. GOP leaders proposed an amendment and said, hey, we'll vote on the governor's People's Maps because they probably got word that some Latino Latino and black members of the excuse me the black and latino caucus members were against them because they say hey these maps negatively affect us and they would dramatically reduce our representation in this state that debate specifically is what we're going to hear from a democratic lawmaker and speaker voss and then we'll dive into it a little bit the republican maps in my opinion are, are not fair to everybody in our state because we all deserve to be equals the partisan gerrymandering is not fair. It doesn't make a sequel. But, at least the Republican map goal was not to decimate the voices of the black and brown communities in Wisconsin. Governor Tony Evers, Mr. Speaker, in the, or the people's maps, are also not fair to everyone in our state. You can't take our minority-majority districts. They are protected. We meet all the elements to have them and replace them with opportunity districts. These maps are illegal and a perversion of justice that cannot stand, Mr. Speaker.
2: The Republican caucus took this mission seriously. Republican legislative employees crafted these maps within the confines of the state capitol and completed this work on their own without the involvement of outside counsel. It's also important to note that these maps are race neutral. We did not consider race when drafting the legislative maps. Instead, relying on the classic redistricting principles adjusting for population changes. We all know the maps were considered constitutional 10 years ago, and that's why the underlying maps are as well. We listen to the public. We involve the legislature. We maintain the core principles that it sounds like we agree with Tony Evers on. And at the end of the day, these maps are constitutional, They will be good for the state of Wisconsin, and it's why I encourage all members in both parties to vote green on constitutional maps that will allow for government to function as well as it has in the course of the past year over the next decade. Thank you.
0: So we kind of heard some Democrats slamming Governor Evers Peoples' maps, um, which doesn't really look good for the governor because Mm -hmm. he's been touting these maps for months, just called them fair uh, two weeks ago uh, during his press conference.
1: There's a national discussion right now, we talked before, majority minority districts versus opportunity districts. If you have a district that is, let's say 40% white, but um, 48% black and 12% Hispanic, is that sufficient to give the black community the opportunity like the cannabis choice, requirement of the Voting Rights Act? Minority lawmakers are arguing no, that's not sufficient, you have to have higher numbers because You look at statistics about black, Hispanic, and white voters, whites are not a higher level, than blacks and Hispanics, there's all kinds of other issues going on there. For example, Hispanic community, uh, even the voting age population, we're not sure, because the census does not ask you citizenship, right? She may be in the voting age population, but not eligible to vote, all kinds of issues like that. Mm -hmm. They're saying this is not sufficient. The Republicans are taking advantage of this, uh, and smartly, because they're saying, look, we're giving you guys these rock solid districts, and when we do this, we pack you at a, let's say 60% black, but it's 80% Democratic. You are diluting the chance of Democrats to win seats across the map because, remember, every person you move affects their district, right? If you put a few more Democrats over here, you give a better chance here, right? That, that's what they're doing. It's smart about it. So that's your debate. Now, the question is, okay, Democrats, you've called for 10 years for a Fair non-partisan, Fair maps. Mm-hmm. non-political process to draw maps, and you get them, and then you do this to them. Why? Well, there is a reason. There are problems with these maps. For example, there's some Senate seats that don't have an incumbent in them on the ballot in 2022. That means you have to have a special election or somebody move. How does that work? Um, it's what happens when you have non political, non legal people drawing something that is very partisan and very technical legally, yeah. right? There are issues there. What I'm watching is from all this debate, what happens in the court case, right? The governor's maps, he's going to submit them. Will Republicans say, look, court, here are Democrats.
0: Democrats that didn't even vote for it. Trashing yeah, these maps be, mm-hmm. as well
1: as the Voting Rights Act. You should just dismiss those maps outright.
0: It's going to be a big dis- big discussion in the courts, definitely. So, so, it was so smart move by Republicans, yes. which they rarely do, saying, hey, we're going to give you the chance to vote <laughs> on your bill.
1: <laughs> um, but Jim so Steinke retweeted the governor from November 2nd, calling right. your lawmakers to vote on these maps. You say, hey, we did it, governor. Hey, we did it. And they yep. voted against them.
0: Uh, we're going to recap, too. We're running out of time. Uh, Senator André Jacques uh, made his grand return to the Senate floor this week uh, for the first time since being hospitalized and being put on a ventilator for COVID-19, which started back in August. Um, and he just kind of had his time on the floor saying, and I just have to say it's an honor to be back in this building and continue to work that I have the privilege to be able to do. Um, and Jacques, uh, just another point, too, has been an opponent of COVID-19 protocols and is really still supportive of legislation to ban vaccine mandates. Now, Jr., you just briefly talked to him on the mm-hmm. floor. Overall, how was uh, how is he doing?
1: So he's still doing physical therapy. Uh, he's walking slowly. He has an issues right bicep he's working on. I asked him about those positions on mask mandates and vaccines. He said he hasn't changed any positions because of experience with COVID-19. All
0: right. Um, now let's uh, just get quickly to stock reports rising. Uh, we'll start with that, Jr.
1: Joaquino Arturo, who is, was the guy over at WIDA, he's now going to the Biden administration. Nice promotion. Good for him. U.S. Department of Agriculture with rural housing, so big promotion for him from the Evers administration. It's kind of like a, a quasi-cabinet position for the governor, any governor. Now for Evers, they have like a leadership team in place over at did that will take over, but he's got to find somebody to fill that spot.
0: Uh, and we got mixed uh, Deb McGrath, who just joined the field for the 3rd Congressional District.
1: Yes, a fourth Democrat in the race. She is a former Army captain, former CIA officer, great background, great mm-hmm. resume. Yeah can you turn that into a great campaign. Yeah. Um, her dad held the seat from 1975 to 81, I believe. Al Baldus, um, she's been around the world for years, back home in Wisconsin. Okay, can you turn this into a campaign? Remember, Brad Path is in there, state senator, who's endorsed by Ron Kind at Herb Cole worked for both of those guys. He announced this week he's raised $220,000 so far. Rebecca uh, Cook, uh, Rebecca Cook, who's an Eau Claire businesswoman, she's in the race, she also raised 100 grand the first couple of days of her campaign. Deb says she raised going to the first 24 hours. Oh. So, okay. so pretty all all right, yeah. But Derek Van Orden raised $1.8 so far this year. I was year.
0: like, just wait, well, what about the Republicans? <laughs> Questions
1: for people. Uh, one, what's this going to look like? Will Eau Claire still be in the district when it's all said and done? There's a rivalry between Eau Claire and La Crosse in western Wisconsin. So, Brad's from La Crosse. He's got that market. They know him there. He can work to build his name in Eau Claire. Both Rebecca Cook and Democrat from the Eau Claire area. They have to do a, a bigger task to get their name ID up there. I heard a good theory this week or a theory this week that having a female candidate would be an interesting contrast with Van Orden because Van Orden obviously had an issue in his book where he talked about exposing the genitals of a, a, a soldier to two unsuspecting female junior officers um, in a hospital setting. He had a run-in with a uh, 17-year-old girl, I believe, at the library in Purdue over an LGBTQ book display. So having a female candidate as a contrast to that might be an interesting one. But Brad is better known. He's, he's been on the bout, He's won a race before. So watch how that primary develops and also how that seat develops because I can't really tell how competitive it is Tell me what that seat looks like.
0: Exactly, until we get those new maps in place. All right, and uh, following this week, tax burden.
1: So uh, Wisconsin Policy Forum does an annual review of where we're at in terms of state and local tax burden. We've dropped from top 10 20 years ago to middle of the pack. All so right. So people look at that and go, okay, you know, that's a good sign for taxpayers. Keep in mind there's also a spending side to that. We've dropped from top five for spending education to middle of the pack as well, so people aren't really thrilled with that piece of it. But looking at this bird, it's, it's a share of state and local taxes uh, compared to your uh, personal income. It's been going down. If we were at the same percentage ni- in 2019, as in 1999, taxpayers have paid pi- 5.7 billion more in 2019 to state and local governments. So that shows you how much it's gone down. Now part of this is income growth, right? It's not just all the tax burden, but income growth. This also doesn't take into account the tax cuts signed in the twenty twenty-one-23 budget. There is what, two billion in income tax cuts in that budget. So there's more coming in terms of reduction of the tax burden, but where we rank going forward will also be impacted by personal income growth, what other states do.
0: Well, JR, I was actually hoping for inflation to go down this <laughs> week, but I don't think so. <laughs> All right, that will do it for this week. I'm Emily Fannin.
1: And I'm J.R. Ross.
0: Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.